This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guests this week via Zoom, Kathy Schick and Nicholas Toth. Nick, hi, and Kathy, hi. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. They are the co-founders of the Stone Age Institute. And I have to say this, if you're of my generation, which is about 150 years old, as you know, what we know about the Stone Age uh, basically came from watching the Flintstones. I believe there's a little bit more to it than that. Would you say, Kathy? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. There's a, a lot more to it. That's why we uh, founded, uh, created a new institute to really explore this. It's uh, our very, very deep prehistory for humans, how we evolved and slowly emerged in the form that we are, this big-brained, bipedal, very brainy creature. And we weren't always that way. So we go way back in time and find and examine evidence to show how and when, and we try to figure out why we emerged this way. You said we go way back in time, human history. But the truth is, human history is, is like a second compared to Earth history. That's correct, yes. Yeah, you know, writing only goes back about 5,000 years ago. But we can trace the earliest stone tools over two and a half million years ago. And so over 99% of human technological history took place in the Stone Age until the end of the Ice Age 10,000 years ago, virtually every human on the face of the earth was in a stone technology. So all the things about metallurgy, uh, civilization, writing are, are quite recent on a geological scale. An interesting thing I read once was that, you know, for all we tell ourselves that we're so smart and we've got the greatest machines in the world and we know what we're doing and we know how big the universe is, we're still stone-aged people. That's very, very true. And that's why we're studying this, because we, we grew up in the Stone Age, and we're barely out of it if you look at the, the long history and then prehistory of humans. So we really feel that we need to understand ourselves in that context and see how we emerged and, and really realize how recently we became what we see ourselves as today, this brainy, technological, very technological, complex uh, animal. In our case, three people talking to each other via a, a weird little flat screen. <laughs> <laughs> One reason we founded the Stone Age Institute is we feel it's very important for people to understand how we got to where we are and understand how recently we really became what we are today. And we're very new at this. And we should, we should have a lot of humility about this, this path that we're going on. Is that it's a very new role. No other creature on the face of the earth has taken this role. We're very new at it. We're, we're smart, but we're not always that smart. Funny thing is, Kathy, uh, we're learning more and more, seemingly by the day, 
that we're not all that much smarter than a lot of other critters on this earth. We learned recently that crows, for instance, have a realization, an understanding of their own intelligence. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Uh, we, there are all kinds of intelligences and people in different fields, in primatology, psychology, anthropology, have been looking very carefully, and animal behavior studies of all kinds, at how other intelligences emerged in other animals, what kinds of cognitive abilities they have, and also see what we share in many cases with many of these, and especially with our closest living relatives, the apes, and especially the chimpanzees and bonobos. Yeah, about 30 years ago, we started teaching African apes to make and use stone tools. Uh, right. Now they're in uh, Des Moines. Iowa, and that was, that's probably been one of the most fascinating um, research projects we've done, is working with our nearest li living relatives with brains the third of the size of a modern human. And just to see how far we can take them technologically, as an aside, we've given them musical instruments. They've now jammed face-to-face -face with Peter Gabriel and Paul McCartney. I kid you. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day, I'm playing in a bar in Bloomington, and our apes are jamming with Paul McCartney. <laughs> hey, do you two remember the book? And this was big at one time. You were a lot younger, so was I when this came out. The Naked Ape. Desmond Morris, absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. 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 That fired up a, a lot of imagination in the general public, a broader public, about who we are and what we are and our, our commonality and what we share with uh, our closest relatives, yeah. yes. Yeah, this is a good book. Yeah. If I were just a layperson, which I am, and I wanted to learn a little bit about this stuff, would it behoove me to go to the Stone Age Institute website and would I be a bigger brain afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, we welcome everybody there. Yes, we try to make it, uh, let people know what we're doing and make it educational in a, in a broader sense about different ways to investigate our earlier prehistory and evolution. Uh, in fact, one thing people can find on our website, and we invite everybody to come visit, we have a music project where we uh, compose songs and record them for science education, and there are songs uh, about evolution. Uh, oh. Different sites about evolution writ large and uh, a lot of aspects of it. One of, one of the songs is 98% chimpanzee. <laughs> Kathy, Kathy and I write the lyrics and music to all the songs, and we play on the, the, the songs as well, but our vocalists include local artist uh, Carrie Newcomer and Krista Detour. We've got some world-class musicians who have played on some of our songs, like uh, drummer Kenny Aronoff, who drummed with Mellencamp for years. Probably the best drummer in rock history now. Come to our website, go to Music Projects, and you can stream the music on the website, or you can download them for free. We're doing this as a public education service. That's StoneAgeInstitute.org. Yeah, Stone Age Institute, all one word, yeah. There's a link to music projects there. 
And, you know, music is a big part of our lives and what we do. We think it's a great way to communicate ideas about science education as well. Uh, we occasionally have jam sessions at the Institute. We have jammed with uh, Todd Rundgren, Booker T. Jones of Booker T. and the MGs, Kenny Aronoff. We recently had folk legend Janice Ian out at the Institute as well. Wow. Hey, wait a minute. You guys are academics. You're supposed to be uh, not, <laughs> very serious. You're not supposed to be doing stuff like that. We're, we're always trying to think outside the box. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I well, think part it, of our success at fundraising as well is, is having that, that attitude of looking beyond what we do on our everyday existence. Speaking of fundraising, it is Fall Fund Drive for WFHB. So stay uh -huh. tuned for a, a fun drive break. La, la, la. Hi folks, Michael Glab here, producer and host of Big Talk. Every day, it seems, I run into people on the streets or in the shops of Bloomington, and they tell me they heard yesterday's or last week's program. They say things like, that person was so interesting. I never knew about her until I heard her on your show. I've got to tell you, that makes me feel good. That makes it all worthwhile. I like to think doing Big Talk is a public service. Community radio is a shared experience. It's you and me, and of course, our weekly guests. But it costs money even to do something worthwhile, like sharing news, music, and fascinating conversation over these airwaves. Won't you please consider donating during this fall's fund drive? Just go to WFHB.org, click on the big red donate button, and follow the prompts. Make your secure donation today and ensure programs like Big Talk remain on your radio and your streaming device. And uh, back to Kathy Schick and Nick Toth. They have been together. They're a couple. They're married, for gosh sakes, for 43 years. Now, that's a long period of time when you're talking about marriage. <laughs> that's true. What I find fascinating both of you I looked over your uh, CVs and uh, both of you if I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong here you're both uh, adjunct professors in the departments of biology and geological sciences at IU yes yes, yes we are Earth. well uh, <laughs> yeah geological sciences has been renamed earth and atmospheric sciences now your uh, co-directors of craft and that stands for Center for Research into the Anthropological Foundations of Technology. Boy, I got to take a drink of water after that. One. <laughs> Just say craft, it's a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> you went to Kent State University uh, for your uh, uh, undergrad and your master's degrees. You did. And mm -hmm. then you went to the University of California, Berkeley for your PhD. The way I look at it, uh, both of your academic and professional props are very similar. So the question is, what came first, the science or the love? <laughs> uh, good question. We, we met on an archaeological dig in Ohio in 1976. I had just come back from uh, Oxford University where I did my early graduate work. Kathy was a graduate student at Kent. By the way, she was a survivor of the Kent State shooting. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we hit it off and uh, moved to Berkeley together, and we were very fortunate. We were both accepted into the graduate program there. So our, our marriage and our 
uh, academic lives are, are very strongly linked. For the first several years of our life, we went to Africa to do field work right after being married uh, for, our, for our doctoral work. And we, we figured we spent over half of that time in the first few years of our marriage in a tent. <laughs> so our, our joke is you can't slam a tent door after an argument. <laughs> And it is a joke. <laughs> it, was, it, was good, it was good training now for the pandemic because we, we learned to get along very closely very early. <laughs> a lot of success in a relationship is uh, saying, honey, what was your day like? But can you two even ask each other that question? You're with each other uh, constantly. Well, we're, we're, we're together almost all the time. Yeah, that's so. one thing missing from our marriage, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a great relationship, and you know we're our two most severe critics as well. So that you know when we're working on a paper or something like that, uh, we can, we can be fairly merciless in what we say to each other, which we couldn't do to our other colleagues, and that's fun too because it, it, it I think it produces a, a better product by the end. And you haven't clunked each other on the head, and that's a good thing no, too. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Now, in addition to the Stone Age Institute website, you have another website project that's called From the Big Bang to the World Wide Web. What's that all about, Kathy? Okay, that is another science education project that we've developed. And it's, it's part of a larger, you could say, movement uh, in, in, uh, in science and education. Uh, that's often called big history, trying to look at the, the big picture of very deep time and how everything emerged to the way it is today. So looking at the origins of the uh, universe, of our solar system, of the earth, of life, the human species, and ultimately all of the technology that humans have developed. So it's, a, it's an educational website. You can go onto it. Uh, there's links from the Stone Age Institute website. And you, take a, uh, you can take a walk through deep time. You can, we've uh, organized it in time scale. So there's a very deep time scale that's going back uh, beyond 13 billion years to the origins of the universe through time in chunks of time we've chosen you know, to provoke interest, we've chosen what we say the top 10 events in 10 different timescales, one very, very deep, and then they get smaller and smaller as we get closer to the present day. And people can just explore it and try to really comprehend and understand vastness of time and how the universe and ourselves have emerged over that time. What do you think is the most important invention ever by a human being? Hmm. Probably fire. I think that probably made such a difference in our evolutionary trajectory and what we were able to do. Yeah, it, it changed a lot as far as the survival in different climates, uh, in terms of uh, cooking and nutrition and access to food resources. And it also, I think, helped create more of a, 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 an environment where people gather and, and gather together and talk together, think together, sing together. So I think it's been a very 
important technology, but also it's, I think, been important socially in developing different cultural ways. When you walk into a scene where there's a fire pit, mm-hmm. you cannot look away from the exactly. fire. There, it, there's some physiological thing that draws our eye. Similarly, if you walk into a room and a television screen is on, <laughs> your eye is drawn irresistibly to that screen. Yes. Yeah, that flickering light, that changing light. Yeah, we were just contemplating this once again. We've been doing this for over 40 years. Uh, we're, we have a fire pit, and we were just uh, at it a couple of weeks ago, and we were once again thinking you can't, you just can't look away. You, just something so almost meditative and right. contemplative, and doing it together makes it an even larger experience. There's a, there's a wonderful scene in the first Terminator movie. It's after the apocalypse where the robots take over and there's a group of humans eking out an existence and they're, they're watching a fire inside of an empty television set, which is <laughs> <laughs> So it combines your television motif and the fire, ancient fire motif. Well, speaking of inventions, here's one that uh, is a billion times more complicated than just making a fire. And that is the scanning electron microscope. I I got a kick out of reading this little tidbit about you you kids. Uh, You've been through training to use the scanning electron microscope? Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, It emerged a few decades ago that very, very detailed um, microscopic work and the scanning electron microscope gets you down to very close detail. It's an important tool to look at ancient pieces of evidence. Huh. You can say, say a, a bone from a Stone Age site, it may have cut marks on it that somebody butchered an animal or cut meat off a bone, and it leaves very, very fine traces on the bone and the scanning electron microscope allows you to really investigate this closely and record it very well to communicate to other people. So it's an important tool. So yeah, it's using high-tech gadgets borrowed from other scientific fields usually, but applying it to our ancient prehistoric evidence. Yeah, this was a a course we took uh, through the Royal Microscopical Society in England at Cambridge University. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do that. And we were in there with forensic scientists and people from industry and things like that. We were the only archaeologists in that class, but it was a lot of fun. This is one of those gadgets that you don't put in the closet and and haul out when you need to use it. It takes up a lot of space, right? Exactly, exactly. And you need very, very well-trained technicians to help run it and keep it operational. So uh, it's... It's part of the usually university equipment, so it's here at IU and also at, out at Berkeley where we first started in this, uh, in this area. So looking into this, I, I found that the scanning electron microscope can resolve, this is beautiful, to better than one nanometer, which <laughs> for everybody who is not as scientifically literate as you two, that's one billionth of a meter, unbelievably. <laughs> yeah, so it gets you in very close and uh, uh, get very fine details. So you, you can't get much better than that. 
Speaking of tiny measurements, there is something called a Planck length. There was a <laughs> fellow named Max Planck, and uh, the Planck length is a, a pretty much, as far as I know, the smallest measurement there is. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I bring that up, the two of you own a first edition of Max Planck's 1897 physics book, Thermodynamic. Max Planck is the guy that we credit with discovering the quantum theory. That's correct. And most people say as important as Einstein in the history of physics. He won the Nobel Prize in physics in 1918. He discovered that energy is emitted through quanta or discrete packets as opposed to like a, a river of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Kathy and I, uh, one of our hobbies is collecting rare books on the history of science. So we've got a first edition of Max Planck. We've got a first edition of Darwin's uh, Descent of Man. Huh. Have, we don't have a first edition of Origin of Species, which would cost you about $350,000. But um, uh, if they're affordable, uh, we get them for, uh, as part of our collection at the Stone Age Institute. Interestingly, we spoke recently at the Max Planck Institute in Leipzig, Germany. And I asked them, why did they choose Max Planck to name their institute after? And one, besides him being a great scientist, uh, his son was executed by the Nazis. He was part of apparently one of the assassination attempts on Hitler. And so uh, they saw that as a good thing for, for German history. And that's so somebody, one of the reasons. Somebody to emulate. And the other interesting thing about Max Planck, uh, he, he also taught uh, courses on acoustics and sonics. In fact, uh, his professor uh, at Berlin actually uh, worked with the Steinways uh, when they were developing their, their pianos, so that there was an interesting collaboration between German physics and music at that time as well. Once again, that connection, music yeah. and science, as you yeah. two have done. Now I'm going to put you both on the spot. Uh -oh. <laughs> either one of you try this. Can either one explain in a sentence that I can understand and the rest of the listeners what quantum theory is? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll put that over to Kathy. <laughs> you were about yeah. to answer him. No. <laughs> The world of quantum physics is so bizarre and so strange. Um, you know, we, we think of all of these tangible things in our life. And uh, once you get into that realm, it is so bizarre and so strange. I wouldn't even uh, try to tackle that question. Yeah, a very superficial look at it would try to explain that it's, that it's trying to explain the nature of both matter and energy. Yeah. Uh, so, in an overall view, uh, that's, that's what it's trying to understand, uh, how matter and energy, uh, what their nature is and how they behave and how they interrelate. So, uh, that's, that's a nutshell version, but that's from a, a paleoanthropologist. <laughs> <laughs> is this the kind of thing that you two talk about over dinner? <laughs> Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> although, although these days it probably has more to do with politics in the election. Than <laughs> <laughs> you ain't kidding, that's for <laughs> yes, sure. Yes, yes. I think that's universal right now, pretty much. I wonder, and again, this is for either of you two, 
What do you think? Is the general public getting smarter or is it intentionally getting dumber these days regarding things like evolution or other basics of the science canon? Either one, take it. Well, I would say um, even though our educational system is hopefully making people more aware of things like evolution, still about half of the country isn't sure if humans evolved from earlier forms of life. And so I think that's a challenge. But to me, the, the, the big frightening thing is all these conspiracy theories that have come out lately that have absolutely no validity. But how many people are accepting these things? It is, right. it is really chilling, and it makes me worry about the future of our country. Does it depress you? Uh, that's one one emotion that comes out. It's, a, it's, a, it's just frustrating. In fact, we're in a, a discussion group that was trying to look over a couple weeks ago aspects of American education, just education overall. And a real concern is how to, how to foster more critical thinking in our population. Clearly our schools are not doing a great job. Yeah, and have people really question, well, how do, how do you know that? How should I know that? And uh, it's, it's a much bigger question in a way than even uh, paleoanthropology and prehistory. But uh, humans uh, are both often skeptics, but often um, very, very readily, it seems, take up uh, beliefs uh, such as some of the conspiracy theories that there's no basis in fact. So, Some of the things that have been going around are uh, the world is flat. That's yeah, gaining yeah. traction these days. And another thing yeah. is, is that the theory of gravity is a hoax. I've heard that <laughs> one too. Right. Or, or we haven't landed on the moon. Yeah, yeah. When there was uh, some cult that people thought the, in California that a spaceship was going yeah. to find a comet and they killed themselves so that they could join up in right. the spaceship in he space. He Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, yeah. And when that happened, and that was, what, 20 years ago? Maybe At more, least. We more or less said to ourselves, there's nothing that humans cannot believe. La, la, la. We've had such a good time talking today with Kathy Schick and Nick Toth, that we're making this a two-parter. Join us next week for part two of our discussion with the founders of the Stone Age Institute. <laughs> Kathy Schick and Nick Toth, they are a couple. They've been together for more than four decades. They are the co-founders of the Stone Age Institute, uh, that is an independent nonprofit, in your own words, devoted to the study of technology, adaptation, and evolution in human prehistory. Uh, quite an undertaking, uh, both to get at the truths in that field and to disseminate it to people like me who aren't as knowledgeable as you. Kathy and Nick, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. It was our pleasure. It was. Thank you very much. It was fun, Mike.